Hello friends, I'm Vance Rains, Senior Pastor of First Church Coral Springs. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this is a source of inspiration and faith as you grow in your walk with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. So I want to brag on you in front of Ann for just a minute. Uh, In the fall, uh, the GO team made a commitment on behalf of the church uh, to enter into this three-year partnership, which for us is a $24,000 commitment over three years. And we wrestled with, that's a lot of money, $24,000. Can we do this as a church? Uh, and so we took a step of like faith. We, we believe we can do this. And so we asked that the Christmas Eve offering go to Zoe. And then we said, you know, when we get to have uh, Lent services, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, maybe we could collect, you know, collect offerings then. So $24,000, 3000 of that actually was a grant that came from the United Methodist Church in Florida. So I left 21000 Already in less than six months, you've raised over $19,500. That means within six month, less than six months, we're only $1,500 short of the total. Isn't that amazing? You did that in six months. Three-year commitment, you did it in six months. And so later in this service, y'all are going to come for communion, and you're going to kneel up here. And I just thought, you know, if three or four dollars kind of fell out of your pocket and landed on the altar rail today, we could just go ahead and finish this today. And Anne could go, and she talks to other churches and say, you know, I know 24000 is a lot of money, but there's this church in Coral Springs that did in six. So how about give yourself a round of applause, and how about consider? Good job. Let's pray. So Lord, we uh, thank you for this opportunity to empower uh, young people in a faraway place. Pray, Lord, that that your blessing would be added to that financial gift, to that training. And Lord, what a blessing it is for us to be able to partner with them and to be part of that. Now bless us, Lord, as we uh, come to this moment where we seek to hear from you. Uh, Speak and move among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I quickly want to talk a little bit about Pentecost. Today we are celebrating uh, the Church Day Pentecost. Now I need to admit to you, next Sunday technically is Pentecost, but next week we're going to be decorated for VBS, and I just thought, is it wrong to celebrate Pentecost early? I mean, is anybody really going to get upset about this? So today we're going to do Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? The Bible says that 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus— the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples. You remember that after Jesus was resurrected, uh, that, that he had appeared to the disciples on more than one occasion, he told them, go to Jerusalem, wait for me there, and you will receive power from above. And so they were there, they were in an upper room, they were praying, and then all of a sudden, uh, everything broke loose. A wind blew into the room like a tornado. What looked like fire entered the room and rested upon each one of them. And those 12 disciples were transformed. Uh, they became bold. They became courageous. They started preaching in languages they didn't even know. And by the end of that day, the church had expanded from a handful of followers of Jesus to over 3,000 who that day were baptized, accepted Christ, and two were filled with the Holy Spirit. We mark Pentecost as the birth of the church and the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that all of us 
are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, how do I say all of us are? This is a promise that had been made in Scripture long before Jesus. In fact, more than 800 years before Jesus, God spoke through the prophet Joel. He says in Joel 2, 28 through 29, I will, God says, pour out my Spirit on all people. All. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Before Jesus even appears on the scene, you remember John the Baptist was baptizing. And he said about Jesus coming, Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, Jesus who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. One night, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus, is trying to kind of sort out Jesus' teaching. Jesus says, John 3, 5 through 8, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and what? The Spirit. See, this has been promised. This is, it was unexpected what happened at Pentecost. I mean, who can expect the way the Spirit might move? But it was expected that this is going to happen. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. He's talking about the Spirit. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so that was expected. It was anticipated. One day the Spirit of God will be made available to everyone. But if we go backward in the Bible, not, not, you know, before Jesus, this was an anticipation. This was a hope, but not a reality. What I want to do is just walk us through the Bible a little bit this morning and talk about who is the Holy Spirit and, and how was the Holy Spirit understood then, and how do we understand it now in light of Pentecost? Because if you go back into the Old Testament, what you see there is the Holy Spirit is mentioned numerous times, but in a very exceptional kind of way. Only certain people experience the Holy Spirit. Prophets, priests, kings, judges, people like you and me, everyday believers in God, everyday people trying to be faithful to God, never would dream of experiencing God's Spirit. Now, I'm going to speak in some very big generalities here for a moment. Inevitably, all of you biblical scholars are going to think of the exceptions. Don't, right? Just go with the generalities, and I think you'll understand what I'm trying to say. If we go back to the Old Testament, and think about how the average person living in Old Testament times understood God. You get the image of a God who is high and above and, and separate from his creation. Just one example, though there's many. Psalm 97.9, For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You're exalted above all gods. It's the image. God is in heaven. Heaven's way up there somewhere. God's seating on a throne. Occasionally peeks down to see what we're doing, right? Occasionally comes down to get a closer look. Occasionally comes down and calls a unique person like Noah or Moses or Abraham. Occasionally gives some instruction. But for the average person, like God is, God is distant, you know, we worship this God on high. We serve and obey this God on high. Uh, we fear 
to some degree. This God on high. Now, all of us can think of exceptions, but for the most part, it's this image of God above. Now, it wasn't intended to be that way. Think about Genesis chapter 2. God creates uh, everything, including the first humans, Adam and Eve. God places them in the Garden of Eden. And it says God took walks in the garden. Here's God's, God's will. God's desire is to be with us, to be present with us, that we would have direct access to God in the Garden of Eden. But you know the story. Of course, Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They're not supposed to eat. They get kicked out of the garden. And so now we have separation. And so this is the image we get in Scripture that with each passing sinful generation, the distance between God and humanity grows and God is far above, not because God wants to be separated from us, but because we've separated ourselves from God. God is high above on His throne and we sinful humans live on this fallen creation, right? But did you hear me say that's not God's will? That's not what God wanted. Genesis 2 tells us what God wanted. So we get to the New Testament, we discover that God, when God wants something, God's going to get what God wants, right? And so here comes the story of Jesus. And we believe that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When, when it was predicted of his birth, it says in Matthew 1.23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Okay, so you follow me so far. Old Testament, God is where? No. Old Testament, God's above us. Stick with me. In the New Testament, God takes on human flesh. He comes to earth. He walks on our soil. He breathes our air. And now, Emmanuel, God is with us. Right? This is the nature of God. God wants to be with us. He wants to be around us. He wants to share life with us. Think about those who actually follow Jesus on a daily basis. They, they, they experienced the character of God in Jesus. They witnessed his power and his miracles. They experienced his love, his compassion, sometimes his frustration, right? They discovered who God is in Jesus. It says Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of of the invisible God. They walked with him. They talked with him. They experienced God firsthand. Imagine being one of those who had that good fortune to go on walks with Jesus every day, to, to sit around meals with Jesus, to, to hang out at the campfire with him every night. Imagine what that would do for your faith to, to witness, to process, to be instructed by Jesus. But then you and I know he kept telling them that, you know, he's going to have to die and, and he's going to be resurrected. And they didn't get it. They never understood. And so finally comes the night before his death. And Jesus says to them, John 16, 7, I assure you that it's better for you that I go away. Did you hear that? To the people who walked with Jesus every day for three years, who left home and career and family, who staked all of their future on who Jesus was, he says, listen, it's better that I leave. That's a pretty amazing thing to say to people who've given up everything for you, right? It is, I assure you, it's better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, who's the companion? It's the Holy Spirit. 
Here's what he's saying. I mean, just imagine how that sounds. Like, imagine if you had that opportunity to work with Jesus and live with Jesus. Can you imagine thinking, yeah, better, go, go ahead, Jesus, better for you to leave? No, of course not. How much of us, we, we long for that, that sense of, of presence, that, that confidence to know for sure, right? He says, better for you that I go. Well, I, may, I may not get this absolutely right, but follow me on this. If in the Old Testament, God was high above, but we say it's better, God's will, that he be God with us, is it possible that what he was saying to the disciples is that you like that I'm with you, but it's better if I can be in you? You follow the progression? Did you catch that? Old Testament, high above. Gospels, with. Pentecost, in. God within. God who lives inside of us. It's better that I go so I can send the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit to you. And see, that's the promise that's been given to us. All flesh will receive the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples, containers of the Holy Spirit? Now, now here's something we believe as Christians that's a little hard to grasp sometimes. We say that our one God is a trinity. One God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God. Such perfect unity in the three that they, they are considered one. That doesn't mean one God plays dress up and one day I'll be the Father and tomorrow I'll be the Son and tomorrow I'll be the Holy Spirit. We'll just take turns. No. Three in perfect unity, such unity that they're one. Now think about the implications of that. That means... That when we perceive God as high above, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are high above. When we perceive that God is with us in Jesus, that means in Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He said the Father and I are one. What does that mean for God in us? That within us, through our baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in you. The creator and sustainer of the universe, where does he live? Do you not know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? The one who came and took on flesh because he loved us and died on the cross and rose for our sins, where does he live? The full power and wisdom and knowledge and compassion of love and God, of God where does it exist? Up there somewhere? Nope. Right here. Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, you might be thinking, uh, okay, that's, that's a nice idea, but I, I, don't, I don't feel God living in there, right? <laughs> how, how do I know? Well, God is subtle. Do you ever find yourself inspired in ways that you didn't expect to be inspired? You ever find yourself kind of nudged to do something that you wouldn't normally do? You ever find yourself saying something to somebody that sounds a lot like wisdom? Where'd I get that? They ever come to you, I should call somebody, and you call them and they go, oh, I was just thinking about you? You ever feel a connection with somebody? Like, like deeper than just we're pals, but I just, I feel connected to them. Well, maybe it's the spirit in them, it's the spirit in you. 
You ever find yourself being more generous than you would normally be? You ever find yourself growing into a better person? You ever find yourself inside yourself the desire to be a better person? Well, maybe, just maybe, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. So here's my point. I want to leave us with this. I think a lot of us are settling for a very Old Testament idea of God. That I believe in a God that's out there somewhere. I don't know where, but I believe it. I believe in a Jesus that he was with us once, but he ain't around now, but I believe it. But the invitation is Pentecost. I know the God that lives in me. It's an invitation into a whole different reality. More than just believing, it's knowing and being known. It's feeling, it's experiencing. It's allowing ourselves to be fully surrendered to a whole different kind of reality. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born by water and the Spirit. And nobody knows where the wind comes from. It just blows. Are you ready to live that kind of life? That's the invitation. To just let the Spirit move within you. Believing God's great, good, right? Knowing the God that lives within, that's what Pentecost is about. That's the invitation. Let's pray. So I pray in this moment, Lord, not for the gift of the Holy Spirit, because you've already given it. I pray that you would awaken the gift of the Spirit in each one of us. That you would move us from our heads to our hearts. That you would move us to that place where we would know that you dwell in each one of us and you are just waiting patiently for us to invite you to take over our lives. So Spirit, come on through like we prayed and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about First Church and our ministries, visit us online at welovefirst.church.